0: Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Berry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living. And this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. Welcome to episode 27 of The Future Belongs to Creators. I have a little secret a little making of the sausage secret for you. I created a dance buffer as a way to give myself time to open QuickTime to record my audio before I said, welcome to episode 27. (laughs) So here we are. It is Wednesday, April 22nd. It is our day to check in on how the world is going. We're only going to do that once a week now because it's too much to do it daily. But before we get into that, uh, let's tell you what the topic is. And then we're going to jump into how are you today? Topic of the day is called premortems. It is a tool that we love that we use regularly. Uh, the subtitle I came up with was how to predict everything that could go wrong and move forward anyways. I like that. And that is actually what the tool is for so that you can anticipate what might go wrong with a project and then actively work to combat those things ahead of time, rather than waiting for them to, uh, come at you unexpectedly. So we're gonna get into that here in a minute. Um, we think it's really applicable both to uh, running companies but especially to creative projects. Maybe even more important when you can be your own saboteur. Um, Nathan, how are you doing today?
1: I'm like uh, greenish yellow, I think. Uh, I got a lot of great stuff done, which is exciting. We've got our board meeting coming up in a week and a half. There's a lot of work that goes into prepping for that, which is good. It's work that we need to take stock of how everything's going in the business, take a step back from running a day-to-day. It's just, there's a lot going on. But I've had some really good interviews lately for potential candidates, or I get, they are candidates. <laughs> They're not potential candidates. They are candidates for roles. Potential uh, teammates. It's potential teammates, exactly. Uh, so that that is a good thing. I just need a little more time to be able to dive into some, some projects and things that we're working on. So yeah, green with a hint of yellow. What about you? Um,
0: Hmm. Let me check in with myself. I would say I'm yellow. Um, same kind of thing, a lot going on. I mean, we jumped in right into two and a half hours of meetings, uh, pretty much straight from the the start of my day. I got up pretty early today and did some work first, but then jumped right into, uh, meetings about hiring. And then, uh, our leadership meeting, which is on Wednesdays. Y'all catch us right in the middle of our long meeting days on Wednesdays. Um, All good things, all good things. But yeah, there's a lot going on. The reason we have a board, we don't have to have a board actually, because we're independent. We have no investors. We don't have anyone to answer to other than ourselves. And that is why we have a board. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, We learned, we have learned over time that um, no matter how confident we are, no matter how much we think we're leading from a values-based place, it is invaluable to have a group of people who are external to the company, who understand our motivations and our values and our vision and can hold us accountable to that. Just provide some some external perspective on um, how our actions are lining up with our values and vision. And so we get together with them every six months. And a lot of the value is actually in the prep work. It's in taking it seriously and doing all of the research mm-hmm. and data gathering required to report on our current context. So. Anyways, if you were wondering what we spend our time on and why in the world we would have a board when we don't have to, um, it's just so that we can grow and get better. Uh, so we're going to spend the rest of our week on that. But that is largely irrelevant for today. So let's check in on some stats.
1: Where things are at in the world. Yes. We're at 2.6 million cases overall. The US coming in strong, trying to represent the majority of those at 800,000. You know, it's looking at how like daily numbers are kind of what what matters more like the trajectory that we're growing and they're still in the u.s going up yesterday was twenty five thousand cases for the day twenty eight thousand the day before so while the new cases aren't increasing exponentially from the day before they're they're still going up a lot uh and unfortunately i think yesterday was the most deaths in a single day in the united states ever so far in this pandemic at 2800 um so yeah, things are are still not good. One conversation that we're we gonna do this with in our team all team meeting tomorrow, just to kind of check in and all that. It's have a conversation about how we expect the world to change as a result of mm-hmm. this. And it's just something that I was thinking about, a few team members have been thinking about. I think it's like a good journaling topic because there's so much uncertainty, and I find myself talking to friends and family about it of like, okay, what's still gonna be true? And it's just worth getting that down on paper because otherwise it bounces around in your head and you have all these outstanding questions. And like, honestly, I can't have answers to any of the questions, but it still helps me to like talk and think through it rather than just, uh, let it go crazy in my own mind. Yeah. So that's something that's on my mind there.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's also interesting to see, um, you know, there's been a number of protests and kind of, uh, demonstrations lately, um, largely along, along political lines, which is really interesting that the issue has been politicized at this point, but, uh, Mm -hmm. there are some places, um, I think Tennessee, South Carolina, Georgia starting to open back up, uh, Georgia's opening hair salons, restaurants, bowling alleys, you know, places that lead to quite a bit of spread when the virus is present Mm -hmm. Um, the mayor of Las Vegas did an interview with Anderson Cooper today, uh, about opening casinos back up and just shared some interesting perspective on essentially saying this isn't China, therefore it won't spread the same way. And so there's some fascinating things going on that, uh, are a little bit scary. Um, I listened to a great interview on the New York times daily yesterday with a, uh, really intelligent journalist. Who's been quite in touch with a lot of the experts on the topic throughout and has had really good predictions because of that. And his perspective is uh, there's, there's a realistic scenario where we're kind of in and out of this state of isolation for a couple of years. Um, that outbreak that was isolated in the world within the last decade ended up having a four year timeline to a successful vaccine. And so I don't say that to be alarmist. I just say that to kind of couch our expectations. And what we want to be true is what some states are starting to do, opening back up. And what may be true is that this still may be a, a long road ahead of us. And so- just putting it out there, stay, stay home, stay safe, go to the grocery store once a week and, um, make decisions that are good for your family. Even if governments might do things that, uh, would expose you to risk.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's dive into the topic. So talking about pre-mortems, uh, basically it's a tool for, I guess the tool for decision making and decision making with confidence. there are times in our careers in convert history where we've used pre-mortems, there are times that we wished we would have used pre-mortems in hindsight, but basically what you're doing with a pre-mortem is you're fully stepping into this mindset and you're saying, this thing that I'm thinking about doing has failed. Well, we have a visitor. <laughs> uh, first time that's happened.
0: Um <laughs> I I mean, we have to touch on it. We just had someone join our live stream, which is fascinating. Number one, I had heard about zoom bombing. I had never had it happen to me until just now. And I don't even think it was, it was an aggressive zoom bomber. I think it was a complete accident. So they looked just as shocked as that we did. Anyways, um, Shelbert, uh, good to see you. Glad you're no longer here. Thankfully, Zoom added the remove feature. So we got that going I, I think for that, us.
1: I, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, let's see. And Barrett, this is your meeting room, and you can uh, figure out how to lock it. Oy,
0: oy. Apparently, I'm going to have to am, uh, add the password thing onto the end of my Zoom link. Oh, man. Okay. So premortems <laughs> um, of all the things that could go wrong in making a podcast. One of them is that when you live stream <laughs> and you don't add security features, it's possible for people to zoom bomb. And if you, if we had pre mortemed this, we would have known that that could happen <laughs> and we would have prevented it.
1: I love that. Uh, uh, Anika jumps in and says, I'm green now. Thanks y'all.
0: <laughs> You're
1: welcome and uh oh boy
0: that was actually a perfect
1: episode for it (laughs) Uh, it was so with a (laughs) pre-mortem basically uh what you're doing is fully stepping into that mindset of this has failed and then you go into getting into specifically why it failed and this is i mean it's playing make-believe for a second right we're we're that is not true but we're saying that it is and so let's take an example. We use uh, this extensively with our free plan, right? We're saying we have a very well-established uh, business model. We're going to blow that whole thing up and be like, you know, what's a good idea. Customer's not paying us. And so we're like, great, we're going freemium. We're launching that. And uh, as we go into that and step into that, then we can say, okay, a year from now, six months from now, it's failed. We've decided it was a bad idea. We shut it down. Why? And so we can start to step into those reasons. Maybe, um, well, maybe there's a security angle or like a malicious content angle or something like that to it, right? Where there's all this spam and those complaints that came in and we weren't able to handle that onslaught. Maybe we have far too many customers downgrading, right? And we actually you know, mess up our, our revenue and our profit numbers and, um, and all of that kind of thing. And something immediately happens when you step into this world. And the first one is that you're like, oh, but here right? Here's why that wouldn't happen. Here's how we can prevent it. And you have to go, ah, we're not saying this could happen and how to prevent it. We're saying this did happen. And we're currently in this mindset of we're only doing the bad. This failed, this went wrong, all of that. And then later we'll step into this other mindset of, okay, assuming it goes wrong in those ways, how would we prevent it? How could we head that off with what we know now?
0: Yeah. I love that. And so I think one of the things we wanted to touch on is is when do you use this tool, right? uh, Of pre-morteming, because it might seem like overkill for, you know, you're not going to pre-mortem every blog post that you publish, but there might be some blog posts that you do want to pre-mortem. So like one one piece of content strategy would be to share a controversial opinion or to write a very opinionated take on a topic that has many different viewpoints um, related to it. And that might be a blog post where you want to do a premortem. And so what differentiates a project where you should or shouldn't do a premortem? Well, I think it's that um, it's big enough that someone might interpret it differently than you do, or someone might do something with the project you're launching that's different than you intended it. And so when it's day-to-day things, just like, uh, you know, processing payroll or posting a blog post or having a team meeting, obviously you don't need to pre-mortem those things. But when it's a big new project that you're going to invest a lot of time and resources into, then it's certainly worth using
1: pre-mortem as a tool to say, okay, what are all the ways this can go wrong? Yeah. What that makes me think of is it could be on these giant projects, but it also could be, as you said, in any interaction where people might totally misunderstand what you're doing. So if I had like a really tough conversation that I needed to have with a team member, I could pre-mortem that because, you know, you come in, you say the wrong thing, it gets interpreted wrong. And the whole, you know, you had the best of intentions, but it all spirals out of control. And you're like, that was a disaster. I never should have had that conversation. You could pre-mortem it. And you could say, okay, this is what I need to communicate. Here's how it's going to go terribly wrong. And these are the ways they're going to hear it that I don't mean. And this is the result. And then they're going to quit. Or then they're going to like, never have me as their friend again or whatever else. And then you pre-more to admit, and you go, oh, okay. That's because they could misinterpret me at this point. Or that's because I could communicate in an unclear way at this point. And you could head those off and make sure that um, you've got it handled in advance. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's get into
0: some of the nitty gritty. Like when, when in our process of planning a project, do we actually do this and how do we approach it? I think one of the biggest things is that you need to plan first, like you need the project Mm -hmm. plan, which, you know, we can get into that some other day, but you need to know what outcome you're trying to achieve, the general strategy you're going to pursue, the steps you think you're going to take to execute. You know, those would be kind of like the early things that we might outline for a project, a timeline attached to those things loosely held, but at least defined. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing that I've always noticed and, and a mentor has this, this phrase of, um, The devil doesn't need an advocate. The devil's doing just fine. I always love that because it drives me insane when someone just for the sake of being contrarian, not because they actually believe a different perspective, but just for the sake of being contrarian takes that devil's advocate mindset. Now, if someone is contrarian, they believe something different than the conversation. There's great value to it because it brings diversity of ideas and opinions. Um, But a lot of times devil's advocate can turn into this kind of straw manning And when you're trying to plan a project, it's really frustrating to have that perspective present because it's like, okay, we're just trying to get an initial draft on paper and you're picking this thing apart and you don't even believe the ways you're picking it apart. Right. So what we found is if we can separate those two phases, it's really effective for doing both. So we start with what are our goals? What are all the ways this, what do we have to do for this to succeed? Like if this goes incredibly well, what what approach will we take and then we draw a line in the sand we say okay great we've got an initial plan given that initial plan let's assume it goes horribly wrong like you were saying earlier it's, you know you kind of tee it up let's shift our mindset to what are all the ways that it failed or what are all of the potential ways that it failed and now we are all collectively poking holes we are collectively being the devil's advocate effectively on purpose at the same time and so we're not talking past each other or at odds with one another in terms of the goal at the time. And so I think that phased approach is one of the really important lessons we've learned related to this. Yeah. And then you'd step
1: into that third phase of, okay, now that we know that it could fail in these 27 ways, how likely do we think that is? And we can order it by likelihood and then we can work our way down the list and say, how would we prevent that? What preparation could we do now to make sure that that doesn't happen? So really the biggest thing is what triggers this process is just perceived risk. How much risk is there in this decision that we're making? And, you know, as you alluded to, most decisions, there's not that much risk. You know, maybe it's easily reversible. So, like, here's an example of a decision that we, to my knowledge, did not pre-mortem. And that was launching the Creator Fund. I don't think we did a pre-mortem on that. We moved very quickly. We made decisions because we said, you know what? I don't think people are going to interpret this wrong. I don't think they're going to say, like, oh, there's it again, grandstanding for attention. I think people are going to look at it and go, cool. That's really needed right now. Thanks for doing that. And so we didn't pre-mortem that one because it was perceived as as low risk. Whereas a move to the free plan uh, was perceived as a very high risk. Right. And, you know, we did
0: have like a, maybe it was 10 minutes, I think. And we said, okay, what are the ways that people could take advantage of this? Well, they could apply when uh-huh. they don't need money. They might not be a creator. They they might not actually have an expense. They might just be asking for money, anticipating expenses, You know, maybe people will think that we're like virtue signaling. I don't think we actually said that one out loud. That was actually just something someone (laughs) accused us of. So that was a lesson learned. Um, But basically all we did in response, it was just a really quick version of it. And it's funny because it's like ingrained now in how we operate. So we just did it quickly. And then the way we define the criteria for application publicly was just like, these things need to be true. You need to be a creator. You need to have had a real expense, and it needs to be in one of these four categories. And then we just defaulted to generosity and trust on the back end. You know, we defined mm-hmm. it publicly as exactly what we intended it for. And then we believed people when they said that they met the criteria. Right.
1: Before we dive into more, I'd love to get, if you're watching live in the chat, I'd love to for you to just drop in examples of either decisions that uh, you have used this process or a similar one, or you think you could or you might Um, because that'll give us some more things to feed off of. What
0: were we going to say? I was going to take maybe a couple other examples that have been kind of real ones for us that we either have or have not done, but I think changes to the free plan was another one. And so this was a big decision we made recently just to kind of set the context. Our free plan previously was uh, landing pages and forms, and that was pretty much it. Then we increased it to include up to a hundred subscribers. And then Uh, When COVID came around, we knew that more creators were going to have more needs in terms of tooling and access to the ability to continue to grow their businesses. And we knew that eventually we would probably increase the value of the free plan. But a principle we've landed on together is that if current circumstances give you more leverage on future plans, accelerate your plans. We could probably do a whole episode on that, but this was a perfect instance of that where we had a future plan to increase the value. Current circumstances made it way more important for creators and we said, okay, great. Let's just do it now. But we did take the time to say, all right, when we go from 100 subscribers to 500 subscribers on our free plan, what could go wrong here? So what were some of the things we came up with on that one?
1: Yeah, so one of the biggest ones that we focused on was um, like downgrades and contraction. Existing customers, who were paying, you know, say who had 300 subscribers and were paying and said, okay, that sounds great. Let me downgrade. And some of that is expected and totally fine. But if we have too much of that, then we start to be in trouble because we rely on, you know, revenue and profit to run our business and pay our team and everything. So that that was, uh, maybe one of the biggest. And another one would be, I mean, it's also on the revenue side, but what happens to our free to paid conversion rate? You know, does it, hinder our ability to get these people to upgrade to a paid account later because we're thrilled to have all of the free users and we're doing as much as we can to grow that community. Um, But we also do need people to be making the switch to paid so that we can continue to build the platform and support everything. Right. And then one of
0: the, even going back a little bit further to the early iterations of the free plan, one of the team's pre-mortem contributions was, okay, when we make this landing page tool available publicly and for free, how do we prevent illicit content? So things like sex trafficking or child pornography or other things that right. like, we really want to make sure we are not enabling, you know, what are the ways that we can prevent that? How do we make sure that we detect it, that we're not neglecting anything in the process? So that allowed us to get out in front of that. We had some really good conversations with former law enforcement officials and, um, and other people who were experts in detecting content like that and said, okay, so we can start putting some some safeguards in place here and then we can invest even more if we detect anything. Um, and you know, whatever, I'm not going to actually say the outcome cause I don't want to jinx right. anything, but we put plants in place basically.
1: Yep. That makes sense. What about, uh, what are some more creator focused pre-mortems that, yeah. um, could happen, right. Cause we're, we're applying this at the, at the scale of, you know, a well-established business. Actually one that I think really hits home is, uh, my side hustle is doing pretty well. Should I quit my job to focus? Yes,
0: on it? that's great. Um, okay. So situation is, let's say I have a minimum viable income, which is maybe a, a, con, a concept we can talk about later. Uh, minimum viable income, which I define as enough money to meet my monthly expense obligations is kind of where I look at. You are a full-time creator. Let's say I have a minimum viable income of $4,000 a month. Okay. Um, my job obviously covers that, uh, mine and my partner's job maybe covers those expenses and then maybe has some leftover for savings. My side hustle is making $2,000 a month. All right. So we're not to our minimum viable income level and there's some risk involved. So it's not just like an obvious, yes, I should quit my job kind of thing. And we're trying to evaluate when, or should I be able to quit my job or what's going Mm -hmm. to go wrong here? all right, so we've got a plan. We think we're going to do it. I don't know. Let's say when I get to $3,000 a month, so there's still a gap. That's my plan. What's everything that could go wrong here?
1: Yeah. So diving into that, you know, worst case scenario, right? We quit our job six months later. You know, we're looking back. Everything has failed. We deeply regret quitting our job. You know, um, first, what's that worst case scenario? Where are we living? You know, did we uh, have to, you know, move out of our apartment, get a roommate, move in with parents? Um, What's happening with our savings? What, you know, all of these things like define what happens. And then really the premortem comes in when you define why. So the first thing is we were expecting our income. We were expecting that increased effort would go take us from $3,000 a month to $4,000 a month. And, you know, then we'd be there like more time put into it. It should totally work. Right. So let's say that didn't happen. A reason that it might not happen is because maybe we were channeling the compressed time and energy that we had into creative output, and we were really good at that. You know, so it's like I only have eight hours a week to work on this thing. So here is the eight most focused hours from when I put the kids to bed to when I need to go to bed. Eight being spread out over a mm-hmm. week, not mm-hmm. <laughs> not in a single evening. Um, and so maybe that's like max productivity. But now you're like, oh man, I've got. I've got all the time in the world. I could do anything. And so it might turn into the fact that, uh, or it might fail because you don't thrive in a world with no constraints. Yep. And I know many creators, myself included, that ran into that exact problem. So that might be one.
0: Yep. Um, another one, and, and I experienced that one, by the way, the first time I shifted from working a job to working for myself. Another one might be the financial pressure actually gave me so much anxiety that I couldn't perform very well. So I had a really hard mm-hmm. time focusing. I wasn't able to produce work. The third one might be because of the financial pressure to earn more, I actually started pushing in unnatural ways, trying to get people to buy and alienating my audience that I've worked really hard to build. So emailing too much, having sales, you know, every week, um, trying to get on one-on-one sales calls. Basically I pushed too hard for revenue in unnatural ways and, that caused members of my audience to either unsubscribe or or move out of supporters of mine. Right? right.
1: Yeah. And so as you run through a bunch of these, right, we could we could brainstorm a lot, but it starts to give clarity because when at first, when you just look at it from the perspective of I'm going to do this and I can extra time will result in this uh, increased output, then that'll be great. You totally miss the fact that you know, you in a new environment with new changes might behave totally differently. I was talking to someone who's an economist and they were like, there's this idea that everyone has that humans are rational, you know, effective <laughs> beings. is just like, it's totally, totally not the case. Um, and so when you think about that and you can fully step into that, okay, these are all the reasons that it failed. And then you can say, okay, wow, that's a list. That's super depressing. And then from there, what you can do is take that step back and say, okay order them by likelihood. And now let's work through that list of, okay, how could I head that off? Well, maybe a mastermind group would be really helpful to give me some of that accountability at work. I'm used to someone saying, Hey, this has got to be done by Friday make sure it happens. And I'm like, yes, sir. You know, here we go. <laughs> and so maybe I could get a, a peer or uh, someone else to, you know, a mastermind group to help me with that. So you can start one by one to say, okay, this is how I can prevent that. And cause to some extent, even just naming that it's a possibility is going to give you that awareness and really help. Right.
0: Right. We, we need to do a whole episode on when to quit your job and go full time. Cause I, I thought yes, of we, another yeah. one, which is that you actually don't have a plan for making money. And a lot of people quit their jobs <laughs> yeah. before they have a plan or clarity on how they'll make money. So anyways, that's for another day. But the, the point of today's episode that we want to kind of wrap up and then transition is, um, pre-mortems are a really valuable tool. It's a structured way to do intentional thinking about what could go wrong with the projects you're thinking about launching, and they can help you prevent a lot of mistakes if you take advantage of them. So use them as a tool. And uh, if you have questions about them, obviously, Friday is going to be uh, Q&A day as always. Um,
1: creator of the day. I, at some point, I'll stop laughing and I'll just be like, "Yep, there goes Barrett again." But in the meantime, Barrett, you have a creator of the day. I don't because I'm not as prepared as you are. But I will close out with the thought of the day.
0: Yes, my creator of the day is Tanahasi Coates. Um, he is an author, a writer, uh, an activist. I would say. I don't know if he refers to himself that way, but I would I would think that he would. He has to be one of the most important cultural inf- influences especially when it comes to the reality of relationships between people of different races in the United States. He has a book called Between the World and Me that is framed as basically a letter to his son, to his his black son about what the world is like. Incredibly impactful book that I loved. I I got the Real privilege of getting to see Ta Coates in person in New York at the 92nd Street YMCA, which has this great speaker series. That's so good. He's so good in person, and uh, he's also the writer of of Black Panther right now, the the comic book series, which I think is really cool, um, bringing his perspective to that series. So, anyways, Ta Nehisi Coates, uh, Between the World and Me, would be my resource of the day. His book. And if you enjoy that, then you'll enjoy a lot of his essays online and his other writing that he's done as well.
1: I love it. That's good. Um, that reminded me of a book that uh, you and a few of the team members had recommended of, um, so you want to talk about race. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to pronounce the woman's name. Kizioma Aluo. Okay, there you go. Uh, I'm going to roll with your pronunciation there, uh, but it's fantastic. I really enjoyed that book. And so that's another one that uh, I would check out. All right, as we wrap up, ooh, right on time. Could we end an episode on time? All right, with premortems, the point of a premortem is to bring clarity to risk. Whenever you're making a a decision, trying to make something happen in your business, in your life, there's risk involved. And so a premortem brings clarity to that. It lets you understand this is the risk and then proceed anyway, understand that's the risk and decide to avoid it and to take on another challenge or another opportunity. So put those in practice, let us know where they come from or what ideas that you have, where you apply it. And uh, we'd love to feature some of those examples in a future show. I love it.
0: Quick note before we wrap up today, tomorrow, we're going to uh, follow through on our promise to invite new hosts onto the show on occasion. Nathan's going to take a day off. I know we'll all miss him horribly. And our teammate Haley Janicek, who has been in charge of um, sales and outreach to large creators who we would love to have in our customer base as well of as well as all of our event sponsorships. normally uh, she has transitioned to hosting what we call creator sessions, which are more entertainment focused um, weekly session live sessions. Last week was a sound bath. the week before that was a lunchtime workout and the week before that was cooking cooking a delicious at home kind of stew from pantry staples. Um, and coming up, there's going to be one on making a living as a musician and a couple of other exciting things. So she's going to come on and share kind of how she's transitioned in this time and maybe a little bit about creator sessions, uh, up front, and then we'll have a topic of the day as always. So anyways, don't be alarmed when Nathan doesn't show up tomorrow.
1: It <laughs> sounds good. Well, on that note, have a great day and we'll see you all tomorrow.
0: Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time.